I told someone I just hope that all of this makes sense this morning when you're working on it so late at night. Um, I hope it all makes sense. I know I've been feeling it for several days. And um, so I pray that I can get this burden off of my heart. And I do believe the Lord wants to talk to somebody here today. Somebody perhaps even that's listening online. The Lord may be wanting to speak to their heart. And I would ask the church to always be sensitive to that. It's not always about the faces that you see inside these four walls. Sometimes God's dealing with people in other places. I, uh, I got a text message. Uh, I don't even know when it was now. Friday night or Saturday of last week. Um, pastor friend of mine was so excited. And he sent me a screenshot. He was doing a Bible study uh, over FaceTime. And uh, uh, the individual he was teaching the Bible study, uh, the individual to whom, see this is how tired I am, I can't get my grammar straight, the individual to whom he was teaching a Bible study. Now this, this man, this, this pastor's in California. He's teaching a Bible study to a man in South Texas. And um, while he's teaching a Bible study to this man many, many miles away, the man received the gift of the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. And what an exciting thing that, that was. And I'm telling you, church, I'm telling you that in this, in this unique hour in which we find ourselves, and um, I do believe, I do believe that a lot of it is unnecessary. I'm just going to tell you the truth. I think a lot of it's unnecessary. Now, you don't have to amen me. I'm just telling you it's what I think. But um, anyhow, in spite of all that, God is allowing us to do a work through whatever means we can do it. And he's still reaching out to people. Uh, in fact, and I know you're standing, we're going to be turning to the book of John chapter 19 if you want to do that. Um, I do want, to re- do want to just encourage you, if you haven't already, to be sure and make a few contacts uh, sometime early this afternoon. You're going to be filling out your contact form uh, before church tonight. And um, I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you Today, I had a unique experience this week. Uh, I know sometimes we think that these impersonal contacts, you know, just leaving a business card somewhere, we think that doesn't really do a whole lot. But I had a very unique experience, Brother Goff. You know, it's just a habit with me. I do my best to always carry church cards everywhere I go. And uh, if I don't get the opportunity to, to just speak with a waitress or uh, the wait staff, somebody there, then I will at least, at the very least, I'll leave a business card with the um, with the uh, completed receipt on the table, or I'll leave it there somewhere. I just do that all the time, and um, I've said before now, if you're not going to leave a tip, 
don't leave one of our church business cards. Um, go down the street to one of these other churches to get their business card. And no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but, but um, I feel very strongly that if you can't afford to tip, then you can't afford to eat out. It's just the way it is. And we want to treat people right. We want to treat them right. And um, so I, um, I just make it a habit to do that. And we were, we were in a restaurant the other day, and, and I've been distracted, got a lot of things going on, and got up to leave, went to pay the bill. It's one of those places you pay at the counter, and I went to pay, and the waitress actually came up to me while I was standing at the counter, and she said, you didn't leave a card for me today. And I said, I didn't. I'm sorry. Here it is. She said, I'm hanging on to those. I said, well, you really need to just come visit us. It's what you need to do. So I, I'm, I'm just telling you, you know, sometimes we think, what, what's going to come of this? What good am I really doing? You're doing more good than you realize. You really are. If, if you are letting your light shine by the life that you live, that little card sometimes can speak volumes to somebody because they want the happiness, the joy that they see in your life, the peace, the things that you portray in your life. They want it, and they want to know how to find it. They see a difference, and they're hungry for it. And so, so I just want to encourage you. Don't think you're not doing any good. You are doing good. And you're planting some seeds. And, um, you know, most of the time you've got to plant a seed deep and you've got to do a lot of work to get a seed to grow. But I do know this. I do know as a child we used to get those watermelons. We'd go sit on the front porch and we'd spit those seeds out. And there were times, Brother Goff, I didn't do one thing, but I'd come out and I'd see some watermelon vines starting to grow. And I didn't do much. I mean, I didn't, I didn't do anything other than just spit that seed on the ground. But somehow, it, it would end up getting buried just deep enough to start taking root. And uh, something start growing because of it. And so, I'm just telling you that, that it's possible. It's possible sometimes from even the most shallow of contacts for God to do something great and God to give you fruit as a result of your efforts. So don't grow weary in well-doing. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Praise God. Amen. All right, now you're going to have to do better than this in responding this morning because you got to keep me awake. And if you're quiet, I'm going to fall asleep. And we don't want that. We don't want that. So um, I need you to I need you to, to help me out this morning. Uh, and this is going to be an unusual Bible study message, whatever, for, for this time of year. I, I thought about it as I was working on it last night. I thought, you know, Lord, I, this would be a whole lot better if you'd let me put this off until Easter time or something. But, but um, it is what it is. I'm going to preach it while I feel it. And so if you would turn to me to the book, uh, turn with me to the book of John. 
Jesus, help me today. John 19, verse 28. There's no telling. I'm liable to have Moses in the ark before this day is over. There's just no telling what's going to happen. John chapter 19, beginning with verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now, I want to, I want to talk to you today from this subject, Jesus' last word. Jesus' last word. Would you put your Bibles down, lift your hands, lift your voices, and let's talk to the Lord together. Would you ask God to speak to somebody? I really feel like God wants to talk to somebody somewhere today. I really do. I want us to get a hold of God right now. Let's talk to the Lord together, can we? Let's talk to the Lord together. Let's worship the Lord together, can we? Let's worship the Lord together, everybody, right now. Come on, let's worship Him. We need the touch of God. I need the touch of God. Can we, can we really reach out to Him right now? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, my God. Help us, Master. Help us, Master. Praise the name of the Lord. 
Praise the name of the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, <clears throat> among commentators and um, preachers, much has been written and said about the seven last sayings of Christ while he was on the cross. As far as I recall, I don't remember ever personally addressing these seven last sayings until today. And that's, that's saying something for all the years that I've been preaching. In fact, um, uh, my mind's too tired to do much math right now, but in two years, in two years, I will have been preaching 50 years, and so I guess that makes 48 years this month that I've been preaching, and so to have preached 48 years and um, never have really dealt with that particular subject, that's saying something. Uh, various commentators, and you can, you can look it up, you can research it. Various commentators, various authors will address these seven things that Jesus spoke about while he was on the cross. And some of them put them in a slightly different order, and there's a reason for that. Um, you have to remember that they are being pulled from four different Gospels. And so the Gospels are not always clear at exactly which moment something is done. Are, are you with me? And so um, when you start looking at these seven sayings, uh, just to help you understand how difficult it is to, to put them in some kind of chronological order, you, uh, you need to realize and understand that one of these seven appears in Matthew and Mark, but nowhere else. All right? One of the seven is in Matthew and Mark, nowhere else. There are three that appear in Luke and nowhere else. And three that appear in John and nowhere else. So I think you can kind of see the dilemma in trying to find a timeline here. Because you don't have any real sharing among the gospel writers other than one that's shared by Matthew and Mark, but it's not shared by any of the others. And so it's hard to figure out at what moment that he's on the cross did he say uh, what particular thing. Now, very quickly what I want to do is I want to just go through these seven and then we'll try to lay them out the best that I can try to figure out what might have been uh, a good chronological order, uh, but I just want to show you what these seven sayings were, all right? Are, are you going to ride with me for just a little while here this morning? 
Uh, let's, let's look at them, and, and what I'm going to do is I'm not going to take them right now in chronological order. I'm going to take them in order as they appear in the Gospels, all right? So we'll start with Matthew, Matthew 27, verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that, that, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? All right, that's one, and it's found in Matthew, and we could read it also from Mark. There's no need to do that. And then we move over to the Gospel of Luke, Luke 23, verse 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And then also in Luke 23, verse 43. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. All right, and then again, still the same chapter, verse 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And, the, and having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now, now let, me, let, me, let me see if I can uh, just kind of help you a little bit here without getting too confusing. Obviously... We can look at these three in Luke and know the order that they were said in Luke. But trying to figure out where the statement from Matthew fits into all this, we don't know. Are you with me? We don't know at what point it would go here. Does it come before these? Does it come in between some of this? We don't know. We do know the order of these three from Luke's perspective here. And then we get to the book of John, and John chapter 19, and let's read verses 26 and 27. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and, his, and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then said he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her home, took her unto his own home. All right, now again we're staying in John chapter 19. So again, we've got, we've got an order of the statements John recorded, okay? So we know which of John's recorded statements come in what order, but trying to piece those with Luke's and Matthew's is difficult. But let's, let's go on. The next one is found in verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. All right, and then verse 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. All right, so, so uh, here are these seven sayings that Jesus made while he was hanging on the cross. And again, we don't know. We don't really know how they all fit together. And, and if you read various uh, authors, um, they might put them in a little different order. Uh, the Catholic Church has their way of, of, of doing it, and it's become their catechism. It's their teaching that it has to be in this particular order. Uh, I, I'm here to tell you that there's no way to prove that the order they've established is necessarily the correct order let me just show you, for example, uh, Luke twenty three forty six. Read that for me again. Luke twenty three forty six. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my now, spirit. Now watch this. 
Into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said, and thus, having said thus, he, gave up, the he ghost. gave up the ghost. And so Luke says that Jesus made this statement and he died. And then John comes along in John 19.30 and he says, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. So John says that Jesus said it is finished. And when he said that, he died. Now, I've taught you, as, as we've gone through the Gospels, I've taught you over and over that if there appears to be a discrepancy, we know it's not a discrepancy. We know it's not a matter of either or. We know that both are true. Right? And so we know that Jesus said both things evidently just moments before he died. But what we don't know is which of these two things really was the very last thing that he said. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I've titled this lesson, Jesus' Last Word. And, and I, I have an idea, I have an opinion as to which is the last. And I'll deal with that uh, in a few moments. And I will uh, explain my reasoning behind it when I get to that, but but I just wanted to show you. I wanted to explain to you, just in case there might be a critic who uh, maybe not sitting here but listening online that says you didn't take them in the right order, you didn't deal with them in the proper order. I, uh, I I'm going to tell you that there there's not anybody alive that was there, so we have no eyewitnesses still living that can tell us the exact order. Everybody is strictly working off of their opinions. And so my opinion's as good as anybody else's. Well, I, surely I could have gotten at least one amen on that. I, um, I, I thought my opinion was as good as anybody else's. I, maybe it's not. I don't know. But, but anyhow, um, be that as it may. Uh, beyond the order, one of the things that really uh, makes this study so interesting to me is that there is, as I've said many times, a great significance that is usually placed on the last words a person speaks if they know that they're dying. Somebody that knows that these are going to be their last words, you know, usually they choose them carefully. Usually they, they are, they are weighing these last words. They want them to be the right thing. I've talked about when I've taught on the subject of the Godhead, how that Orthodox Jews want, if they know they're dying, they want their last words to be Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. They want that to be the last thing that they ever speak while they are alive on this earth. And I think that's a great and tremendous and worthwhile goal. I will tell you this. 
with each and every one of my grandbabies when they were born the first chance that I got to hold them I wanted to make sure the first thing they heard grandpa say was hear O Israel the Lord our God is one Lord I, I'm telling that's always been my goal from the very first one that I held in my arms amen Dalton heard me say hear O Israel the Lord our God is one Lord and when I got to hold little Ellie it was again hear O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Praise God. It's what I wanted them to hear. Amen. Praise God. And if, if God allows me, and I know that my time is short, I can promise you it's probably going to be the last thing that I want to say as well. Amen. Amen. And uh, I don't have time to go into why it's that over Acts 2.38. I'll throw Acts 2.38 in there as well. We get to that after I get to Deuteronomy 6 and 4. But I'm telling you, everything we believe is based on the oneness of God. Everything. We baptize in Jesus' name because there's only one God. That's why we don't say Father, Son, and Holy Ghost because there's only one God. He is the Father. He is the Son. He is the Holy Ghost. Jesus said this was the first and great commandment. Jesus said it was. And so, because Jesus said that, then I believe it is the first and great commandment. And so, uh, it, it, is, it is significant when a person knows that they are dying, uh, the words that they speak, the last words that they speak. And, uh, and so, I believe Jesus knowing as he hung on the cross, he knew that his time was short. He knew that the things that he would speak while he was hanging there on the cross, he knew these words would be recorded. He knew that the gospel writers would put pen on parchment and leave it for posterity. He knew that these words, these phrases would have great significance for the ages to come. You hear me today? Amen. Jesus understood just how important each and every one of these phrases would be. And so I believe that there is something we can learn from each of them. Amen. And for that reason, for that reason, I am not just going to focus on what my title identifies, but I'm going to try to quickly go through each of these and just show you a little something about each of them that I saw as I was working my way through them in studying for this message today. Amen. And this is not something I got from a commentary Amen. Praise God. This is, uh, and you'll be able to tell that by the alliteration. Anybody that that uh, anybody that, that that knows much about my writing and my my preaching, you know that's um, that's just me. I can't do much about it. I'm just kind of stuck in that rut. So. So you'll see that. Amen. And so we're going to take these. And again, uh, I may not have them exactly in the order he spoke them, but this is the best that I could come up with as I looked at them. And really, the order is probably not 
that important uh, until the final one and we'll talk about that in just a few moments but the first the first uh, as far as I can tell uh, and the first statement that Jesus made from the cross uh, was a plea for remission everyone say remission a plea for remission listen to it here's what he said Luke 23 verse 34 then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Now listen, listen. He, man, he is there dying. He is there suffering. He has been beaten. He has been spit upon. He's got a crown of thorns pressed deep within his brow. The blood is running down his back. His back is laying open. The flesh is raw. Amen. And he's sliding up and down. Not a well-finished and polished cross, but a rough wooden cross with splinters sticking everywhere. And it's ripping deeper into that flesh. Amen. And the only relief that he can get is to slide that open back up against that rough wood amen and try to grab a breath for as long as he can until he collapses again and slides back down and it rips even deeper again but as he's going through this agony as they're mocking him as they're laughing at him here's what he says he says father forgive them they don't really understand what they're doing I'm here to tell you the very idea that a man could pray such a prayer while in extreme agony Amen. Because of what they did is beyond comprehension. Amen. To me and my finite mind, I'm going to tell you something. Amen. Here is what really moves me. He wasn't just praying for them. He was praying for us. He wasn't just praying for those that were standing there that day, but he looked ahead in time. Brother Nelson, he saw my sin. He saw your sin. He saw every one of us. And he said, and forgive them. They don't really know what they're doing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. We were yet sinners. Christ died for us. We were yet sinners. Christ died. For us, hallelujah, he didn't die for us, Jerome, because we were good. He didn't die for us because he's, he saw how righteous we were. He died for us because he knew even after he filled us with the Holy Ghost, there were going to be days we were going to fall flat of our face. He knew even after we'd been baptized in his name. There were going to be days that we were going to struggle to do what was right. But he died for us. And he prayed for our remission. He prayed for our forgiveness. Amen. Right there on the cross. Amen. The first thing it appears to me that was on his mind. While he was on the cross, I was on his mind. While he was on the cross, remission was on his mind. While he was on the cross, his church was on his mind. 
Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. So first was a plea for remission. Second was a promise of redemption. I love this. Luke 23 and verse 43. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee. No, wait. Jesus said unto who? Who's he talking to here? Who's he talking to here? A thief. He's talking to a thief. He's talking to a man that's not living right, not doing right. He's spent his whole life up until he is at the moment of death. He's been cheating people. He's been robbing people. And can I tell you, for a thief to be put to death, there must have been something more than just thieving going on. There had to have been, this must have been, this must have been more than just strictly robbery. There must have been some kind of violence involved with this robbery. Are you hearing me? It's just not normal for a man to simply take someone's money and then him be put to death for that. Not even in Roman times. This man did something terrible. He's lived his life as a miserable example to the world. And he's hanging now on a cross. He and another just like him. Well, not quite like him. Because the other, as he's dying, is still too proud to admit that he's wrong. He's too arrogant to ask for forgiveness. But this thief recognizes I'm a wretch. He looks at the thief across the way and he said, you and I deserve what we're getting. But this man hasn't done anything. And then he looked at Jesus and he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus said unto him, unto this thief, unto this wretched man, Jesus said to him, Today, today shalt thou be you're going to be with me in paradise. I know you haven't lived your life in a way that deserves to go there. But I will tell you this. Anybody at any moment that's willing to admit who you are and what's going on. I'm willing to forgive. I'm willing to redeem. I'm telling you, your past doesn't have to determine your future. You hear me? What you've always been doesn't have to determine where you're going to spend eternity. Here's a man dying that's lived his life as a wretch but Jesus said today things are changing for you see Jesus offers mankind something that nobody else can offer 
I've talked to people who said, I've made such a mess of my life. I wish I could just go somewhere and start over. Well, the good news is you don't have to go somewhere. You can start over right here. You can start over. Oh, I feel this today. I don't know who's listening, but I feel this today. You can start over right here. Here's what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, beginning with verse 3. Jesus answered, Jesus and, said answered him, and said unto him, Verily, 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 I, say verily thee, I say unto thee, Except a man, except be, born a man again, be what? He cannot except see the a man of be God. what? Born again. Be what? You talk about starting over. This is what Jesus said. We're just going to do away with the old you and we're going to let you start brand new. You're going to be like a brand new baby. The old record's gone. That doesn't belong to you anymore. You're a brand new man. You've got a brand new record. You get a clean slate. You're going to be born again. Nicodemus said in verse 4, Nicodemus said unto him, how can a man how? be born when how? he is old? How? How? How does this happen? Jesus said. Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Yeah. And Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of spirit. This is how. This is how, Nicodemus. You need to be born of water. That's being baptized in Jesus' name. Cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You need to be born of the Spirit. That's receiving the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in tongues. And when you do that, you can enter into the kingdom of God. Here's what I'm going to tell you. If a thief can spend his life in thievery, if a thief can spend his life harming others, doing bad to others, but in the last moments, amen, as he's drawing his final breath, God can erase his slate and say today, you can be with me in paradise. I'm telling you, there's nobody under the sound of my voice that's gone too far. God can reach down and erase your record as well. You too can be born again. This is a promise of redemption. Hallelujah. The third, the third was a saying of relationship. Look at this, John 19, verses 26 and 27. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her home unto, uh, took her unto his own home. Now, now, here's Jesus suffering, bleeding, dying, struggling just to breathe. But he looks up and he sees mama. And he said, I can't leave this world without taking care of mama. 
And he looks around. And this is what the scripture said. He saw the disciple whom he loved. Is that what it said? <laughs> he saw the disciple whom he loved. And he said, Behold your mother. I'm telling you, this was all about relationship. It's about relationship. But it goes beyond earthly relationship. Because I want to tell you, Calvary, Calvary was about more than earthly relationship. Calvary was about a spiritual relationship. Hallelujah. Calvary was about a spiritual relationship. A relationship between him and you. Oh, hallelujah. That's what he is interested in restoring. That's what he is interested in developing. Are you hearing me today? That's what the Lord wants to do. Amen. He wants to build a relationship with you. Read for me 1 John chapter 4 verses 16 through 19. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. Yes. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out all fear, because fear hath torment. And he that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first Loved us. Now, I didn't put this in my notes, and I apologize, Sister Jasmine, but I want you to get for me Galatians chapter number 4 and verse 26. And Brother Goff, if you'd find that for me. Listen, hanging here on the cross, Jesus showed us that he loved us. And he looked out there and he found someone that he loved, and that was John. And what he said to John was, Behold your mother. Behold your mother. Now listen. Calvary was his proof that he loves you. Can I tell you, there's still a cry going out today. Behold your mother. Let me tell you who your mother is. It's not Rome. Rome is not your mother. Let me tell you who your mother is. Amen. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 26 read. But Jerusalem, but Jerusalem which, is above, which is, above is free, is free which, which is, the, is mother the mother of us, all. of us all. Let me say to you today, Behold your mother. I'm talking about the church that was founded in Jerusalem. Amen. On the day of Pentecost. I want to introduce somebody to your mother today. This is the one you ought to take home with you. This is the one you ought to build a relationship with. This is the one. Hallelujah. That's what Calvary is all about. To put you and your mother together. Because he loves us. And it's all about 
relationship. I got to hurry. The fourth was a call to recognition. Recognition. I'll explain that to you. Matthew 27, verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Yeah. Now, I read one commentator that said this was, that this was Jesus' appeal. How do you say it? This was Jesus' appeal. Uh, no, it was, it was Jesus' cry of abandonment. That's what he said. That Jesus was giving a cry of abandonment. That here, God the Son was expressing that he'd been forsaken by God the Father. Now, I'm going to tell you, if I didn't have any more sense than that, I wouldn't write commentaries. Hallelujah. This is not God the Son. The Bible doesn't even use such a term as God the Son. It's not even the Son of God stating that God the Father has forsaken him. That's not what you say, well, that's what it looks like. I understand that's what it looks like. That's why you got to take line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. you got to do some study to figure out what the Bible's saying sometimes. This is not Jesus saying he's been abandoned by the Father. I want to tell you what it is. Amen. This is a call to recognition. What do I mean by that? Amen. Jesus here is quoting, and, and maybe even in his weakened state, trying his best to sing a very well-known psalm to the Jews that were gathered there. You see, the words that are found in Matthew 27 and 46 is the first verse of Psalm 22, verse 1. Read for me. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The, the, the book of Psalms was the song book of Israel. When the Jews came together in the synagogue on every Sabbath, they would sing from the book of Psalms. And this was one of their songs. They knew this song. They sang this song. They knew the words. They had the words memorized. And when Jesus started either saying or singing, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Forsaken me? Every Jew that was around the cross recognized at that moment the song that he was singing and can I tell you as their minds began to go through the verses of that song there were some things that had to have jumped out at them read verses 7 and 8 all they that see me laugh me to scorn. They laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the they lip. They shoot out the lip. They shake, they the, shake head, the head. Saying he trusted say on the Lord. He trusted on the Lord that him. he would deliver him. Let, Let him, him deliver him. him. Seeing he delighted him. That's exactly what they were saying to him as he hung on the cross. You said, amen, that you trusted in God. Let's see if God comes and delivers you. It was being fulfilled through their own lips and before their very eyes 
Hallelujah. Keep reading. Let's go down to verse number 14. I am poured out like water. I'm poured out like water. My bones, my are, bones out are out of joint. My heart my is like wax. Is like wax. It is melted it's in the melted midst of my bowels. Go down to verse 16. For dogs, dogs have come past me. me. The assembly the of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. They're looking at him with his hands and his feet pierced. They see it happen. They've been singing it for centuries. They've been singing it for hundreds of years. But now it's happening before their very eyes. Verse 17. I may tell all, may my, tell bones. all my bones. They look and, they stare, look upon and stare upon me. Verse they, 18. They part they my garments, part my garments them. among them. Cast they cast lots upon my vesture. Here's what I'm telling you. Jesus, amen, was not crying. He'd been abandoned by the Father. Jesus started an altar call. As he was hanging on the cross, he started reaching again for the very people that were putting him to death. He was trying his best to get a hold of their heart and draw them to him. It was a call of recognition for them to recognize he was the fulfillment of everything that they had read in the prophets, in the Torah, in the Psalms. Everything they had sung about, everything they had dreamed about, everything they had talked about, every sermon they had heard. Come on, every time the rabbi would, would come and begin to explain a passage, it had something to do with the coming Messiah. And now he's singing to them saying, you're looking at him. You're looking at him. This is what you wanted. This is what you hoped for. I want you to recognize who I am. The fifth, the fifth statement was a statement of reality. It was reality. John 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Jesus said, I thirst. Now, this is just a matter of reality. You see, the man, Christ Jesus, had a dual nature. He was both divine and he was human. This wasn't divine flesh. This was human flesh. It was the same flesh we possess. This flesh had come from his mother, Mary. It was, it was just like ours. It had the same frailties, the same limitations. It experienced the same five senses. And in this simple statement, he was expressing his humanity. 
And in so doing, he was showing the reality of how frail any flesh is. If God manifest in flesh could reach a point of exhaustion, exasperation, a point of absolute thirst, a point where he is about to die. If God manifest in flesh could reach that point, it was a statement to every one of us that we're headed down that same path. Our flesh is just as limited, just as feeble, just as frail. Hallelujah. Just as finite. I'm here to tell you today that death is appointed to every man. Hebrews 9 verse 27 says this. And as it is appointed unto men once to die. It's appointed unto men once to die. Hear me today and after this, the judgment. Hear me today. I don't care how tough or how strong you think you are. Remember Jesus in the spirit was all powerful. Amen. I'm going to tell you, I don't care how big and how powerful you think you are. There's going to come a day, amen, that you are also going to face death and you had better prepare yourself for that moment. There will be a day when you're not going to be able to meet your own needs. There will be a day when you're not going to be able to take care of yourself. You hear me? You may be young and vibrant now but it's not always going to be that way amen the clocks of time just keep ticking away and everybody everybody who's young will one day be old there's coming a day that all of us are going to depend on someone else to get us a little drink just to help us out a little bit I'm preaching to you today we're all headed for that divine appointment and some of us may never make it to old age because our appointment may come before we ever hit midlife. Our appointment may come while we're still young. We know we all have that appointment, but none of us know the date of that appointment. I'm here to tell you, Jesus was just reminding us of a reality. We're all going that way. God manifest in flesh went that way. We are going to go that way. That, my friend, is the reality. The sixth statement Jesus made before his death was one, now hear me out, I'm not sure as I was putting all of this together that I was going to explain this in a way that everybody would understand. I, I hope that I'm saying it. I know what I'm trying to say and I hope I can 
get it across this morning, but, but this sixth statement is a statement of restitution. It's a statement of restitution. Luke 23, verse 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now, again, I mentioned earlier, uh, it's, it's, it's not clear whether Luke's statement or John's statement was the final one. I, I believe John's was, and I will explain that in a moment, but be that as it may, in this simple statement, Jesus says, into thy hands I commend my spirit. I believe that this is a statement of restitution. By that, what I'm saying is, Jesus, again, had a dual nature. Prior to the incarnation, he was the omnipresent spirit. As a spirit, he did not have flesh and blood. As a spirit, he had never felt pain. He had never felt agony. As a spirit, he had never felt hunger. He had never felt weariness. Are you with me? As a spirit, he had never bled. As a spirit, he had never shed a tear. As a spirit, he had never been confined to one location. And now he's gone through his years of, of, of growing and adulthood and ministry. And now he's in the last few moments of his earthly ministry. And now as he is getting ready, amen, for that last breath, uh, he says, I'm commending my spirit. Uh, he's speaking of that, that status of humanity. He said, I'm given up this 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 because you understand that even even though he's going to the grave even though he's resurrected he's not coming back with the exact same body that he had before it's going to be different no more is there going to be pain no more is there going to be suffering no more is there going to be anguish no more is there going to be tears he's going to go back to a state that he had before it's the beginning of a full restitution. The book of 1 Corinthians says that the day's coming when the Son is going to give up all things and God is going to be all in all. I'm telling you, the beginning, amen, of that great restitution started right there at Calvary. He said, I'm laying down all these things that I've felt, that I've experienced. I'm going to take the experiences and the memories with me, but no more will they be able to pierce my side. No more will they be able to drive nails in my hands no more will there be hot tears that flow down my face there's a change that's taking place there's a restitution that's happening here hallelujah amen and I'm telling you, because of Calvary, something's going to happen to us as well. 
amen, something is going to happen to us, beloved. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know when he shall appear that we shall be like him. Oh, come on, somebody, for we shall see him just as he is. I'm telling you, the day's coming. We're not going to have pain. The day's coming. We're not going to have anguish. The day's coming. We're not going to have tears, sorrow, suffering, sickness is gone. And it's all because of Calvary. It's because of Calvary. Now, this seventh and final statement is really what I've been trying to get to all morning. But I did feel like the rest of it was pretty important too. And uh, so I want to take just a few minutes and turn our attention to the seventh and final saying from the cross. John chapter 19 and verse number 30. Read for me, Brother Goff. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now, he said it's finished. Sister Jasmine, can you put can you put the title page back up there? I don't know if some of you might have wondered about this when you saw it. Why this didn't say Jesus' last words? Anybody wonder that one? Why didn't it say Jesus' last words? There's a reason that's in the singular. It's not a typo. There's a reason why. What we read in John 19 and 30, when Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. Now, our English Bible gives us three words. But the fact is, in the Greek, it was only one word. There was only one word here. That's why this is Jesus' last word. The Greek word that is here. That's been years since I studied Greek and taught Greek and, and uh, it's getting to the place that it's all Greek to me. Uh, the thing is, I can pronounce it. You won't know if I'm right or, right or wrong. So it doesn't really matter, does it? Um, except somebody out there in internet land is going to run it through Blue Letter Bible or something and say, oh, he mispronounced it. Just write it off to three and a half hours sleep, all right? Uh, this is to telestai. To telestai. And, and it's, it's one word. It actually is the third person singular. Perfect passive indicative. Is anybody impressed? Third person singular, perfect passive indicative of 
teleo. Now that one I got right. It's when you get into all these perfect passive indicatives and all of that, that's where I struggle a little bit. But teleo. Teleo means to close, to finish, to end. When you look at the word here that is spoken in its third person singular, perfect passive indicative form, Thayer's Greek lexicon says that as it is used in John 19.30, now listen to this. This word means, and I quote, everything has been accomplished which by the appointment of the Father as revealed in the scriptures I must do and bear. Uh, You didn't get that. Everything that the scriptures said was the will of the Father for the life of the man Christ Jesus was fully and completely accomplished without exception. It was just one word, but that's all that was needed. That's all that had to be said. In that last word, Jesus was stating something akin to what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. For I am now ready to be offered. I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure departure is at at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. course. I have kept the faith. Kept the faith. Now that's that's good. That's good, Paul. That's that's great. That's a wonderful testimony. And Jesus was saying something, uh, something like that. But but he wasn't just saying he'd fought a good fight. He wasn't just saying he had finished his course and that he had kept the faith. He was saying, I have fulfilled everything. Every I has been dotted. Every T has been crossed. Every comma has been fulfilled. Every word that's been written. Every thought that came from the mind of God has been fulfilled in the life that I have lived. Everything that was in the Lagos, in the plan of God, it's happened through my life. It is finished. I didn't miss a thing. I didn't miss a beat. I never skipped one step. I didn't jump over anything. I didn't bypass the hard stuff. I didn't try to get around the difficult points. But everything, everything that from the foundation of the world was planned for my life, I did it all. Now I'm going to tell you, that didn't happen by accident. He didn't just stumble into a life that finished everything. I, I, I want to show you real quick, real quick, real quick. I'm going to show you. It was on his mind constantly. Now, I got a few verses I want Brother Goff to read, but I want you to understand 
The same word that's used here on the cross is translated finished. The same word is used in these verses, but here it is translated as accomplished. All right? Everybody's with me? So Luke 12, verse 50. Now, now look, Luke 12, we're fairly early into the ministry of Jesus. Luke 12, verse 50. But I have a baptism, I have a baptism to be baptized with. To be baptized with. And how I and am how straightened till am it I be straightened accomplished. Till it be accomplished. I got something for the self that I know I got to go through. I've got things that I've got to experience. And I'm telling you, I'm in a straight for the Hilton. There's their vice grips on my heart and life that's squeezing me. I cannot think of anything else. I can't concentrate on anything else. I am pressed. I am in a straight until it is finished. Luke 18, we've skipped ahead now six chapters. Luke 18, verse 31, listen. Then he took unto, he him, took the unto him the twelve and said unto them, and he said to them Behold, we go behold, up to Jerusalem. Go into Jerusalem. And all things that are written all by the things prophets. That are written, listen to this. All things that are written by the prophets concerning, concerning the, Son the, Son the Son of Man shall be finished. Everything, everything that the prophets said, everything that they wrote, every word that they spoke, it's all gonna be finished. Woo. Luke 22. Four more chapters ahead now. We're getting right there at the end. Luke 22, verse 37. Listen. For I say unto you that this that is written must be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. For I say to you that this that is written must yet be finished this is what I've been living for this is what it's been all about from the time that Gabriel appeared to my mama from the time that she believed and conceived when I was born in a manger in Bethlehem, and the shepherds came and saw me, the angels heralding my birth. When two years later, the wise men showed up and presented their gifts. When Joseph had to take me down to Egypt, because see, it was all prophesied. It was all, all of that was prophesied, you understand? It was all prophesied. Out of Egypt have I called my son. Joseph took him down to Egypt for a while till Herod died. He came back. And then, when I was standing in the temple at the age of 12, mom and dad can't find me anywhere. They finally locate me and say, well, don't you know we've been worried sick? And he says, don't you know? 
Don't you know? I came here for one purpose. And it's got to be finished. It's got to be finished. I must be about my father's business. walks down to Jordan. John says, behold the Lamb of God. Jesus said, I need to be baptized. John said, no, 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 no. No, no, you baptize me. And Jesus said, no, no, suffer it now to be so. For thus, thus it must happen to fulfill all righteousness. It's got to be finished. I can't miss Anything. When the lame walk and the blind see and the poor have the gospel preached unto them, why? Because it's got to be finished. It's been prophesied. When he got on that donkey and rode through the gate of Jerusalem and they put the palm branches down. Amen. Why did he do it? Because it had to be finished. It had to be. It was prophesied. Behold, your king cometh unto you. Amen. This is what was said. when he overturned the tables of the money changers why because it was said the zeal of thine house has eaten me up everything 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 and when he got down this is why I'm telling you I believe this was the last word Everything, everything that had been spoken, everything that had been designed in the mind of God was finally fulfilled. And Jesus said, it is. It's finished. Now look, look. Look, let's back up just a moment. Let's back up to verse 28. I want to show you something because we're getting down close to the end at verse 28. Now, 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 now verse 28, let me show you what, what the Bible says here. In John, this is John 19, verse 28. Look at what it says. This is why I included this in my text. Look at what it says here. Read for me. After this, After Jesus, this knowing, Jesus that knowing that all things were now, were now accomplished. That's the same word right there. Jesus knew. Jesus knew at that moment. He knew at that moment, I've done it all. It's already down here. It's in his heart. I'm telling you, it's been in his heart. It's been in his mind. He's been working towards this goal. He's finally getting down to that moment. And he gets here in the last few minutes of it all. And it's settled. It's finally settled in his heart. It's settled in his mind. Amen. He knew now all things were finished. And it's in his heart. And it's in his mind. But finally the moment comes to verses later when he says it 
is. It is. It is finished. I've done it. I've done it. I did it all. I did it all. Listen to me. Listen to me today. Hey man, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. He did it all. When he said, when he said it's finished, it means everything's been accomplished. Everything that was formerly lacking has now been supplied. Every wound, man, that was raw has now been healed. Every obligation that was before outstanding has now been met. Every debt, man, that had been levied has now been paid. Oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you, when he said it's finished, he was saying it's finished. Musicians, come. Amen. I'm telling you, this seventh saying is a saying of revelation. In this final word, Jesus is having the last word. This is not just his last word. It is the last word. Devil, you don't have a say anymore. You don't have control anymore. Sickness, you don't have a say anymore. Oh, hallelujah. Guilt, you don't have a say anymore. Sin. You don't have a say anymore. Oh, let's stand. Let's stand. This, this is a saying of revelation. Hallelujah. Jesus got the last word about healing Jesus got the last word about deliverance Jesus got the last word about forgiveness Jesus got the last word about judgment is somebody hearing me today I'm telling you Jesus got the last word and the last word was it is finished I'm preaching to you today because of Calvary it's finished because of Calvary it's finished oh let's lift our hands let's love the Lord